we've discovered time and time again that you will have graduates, they're high achievers. They've done very well academically and very rarely fail at something. So for them to come in and they will fail because they don't know our business. They have to learn it. You will make mistakes and that's absolutely fine. And it's where it setting that expectation. Yes, you can fail, but it's how you pick yourself up and move on from that and not to try and make the same mistake over and over again as part of it. I'm John Fitzgerald, host of the Cord Podcast. I'm curious about the changing world of work. I want to have conversations that will help us all become future ready. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Cord Podcast. Today, the topic is all about graduate careers, onboarding and retaining talent. And I'm joined by Siobhan Scanlon, who is the Early Careers Manager in Musgrave. And they have recently won the Best Graduate Training and Development Program in Business Management in the Grad Ireland Awards and have been almost annual winners in those awards for many years now. And Siobhan has played a key role in that. So I think the topic today is very interesting. A lot of grads and people onboarding and joining organizations through COVID had very different type experiences where a lot of us when we're starting out in our career, it was very much sitting by Nelly and learning from others as we went. You know, Musgrave are a client that we know for many years. Many of you might know, but they're the largest private sector employer with 41,000 employees all around the country and uh, in the UK and a family-run business for over 140 years. So they must be doing something very, very right. So you're very welcome to the podcast, Siobhan. Thank you very much, John. Pleasure to be here today. Great stuff. So as we do in the podcast always, we get a little bit about Siobhan Scanlon and uh, your formative influences growing up in life. And you might just share a little bit about who you were growing up and how you ended up in Musgrave. Yeah, that was that's a, an interesting one, I suppose. When you asked me this question to, beforehand, just to give me think, uh, time to think about it, I was wondering what description would I give you? Would I give you the bookworm description, the daydreamer one, <laughs> one of those, which would all apply, I suppose, for myself? I am. When I was growing up, I suppose I was blessed, I suppose, in a sense that I had parents who believed that anything was possible for us in that sense. And even though neither of my parents had the opportunity to finish second level, there was never any doubt in their mind that we couldn't go to university if we set our mind to it. And one of my formative memories was before we had the South Link Road in Cork, uh, we had to go to go to East Cork. You had to drive through the city. And I remember driving past UCC and saying to my parents, oh, one day I'm going to go there, Little realizing that I'd end up going there three times, <laughs> trying to figure out what I was trying to do in my life. Um, so yeah, I, I did fine in secondary school and things like that. And I enjoyed science, I enjoyed languages, but I decided to go down the language route for, for third level. And I did a French and Spanish in uh, UCC. My tutors won't remember me because I wasn't a sterling student by any shape or form. I enjoyed the social life in UCC and as in the coffee shop more than anything else, I would say. But I suppose one of the formative experiences that I had there would have been our Erasmus year that I did in Spain. So I um, went to Spain uh, with a good friend of mine. And we had an amazing year there. And I suppose really what that cemented for me was, I suppose, just my, my love of the Spanish language, but also I suppose it was very clear that I didn't want to end up being a translator. It's hard enough trying to, to get through your day, <laughs> trying to mentally try and translate things. And I love the Spanish language, but for me, it was like, okay, I didn't really want to go down languages as a career route. So came back, finished my degree, none the wiser in terms of what I wanted to do with my life. And I said, you know what, I'm going to go away to Spain again. Just avoid life for a while so I, I went off and I went to teach English um, in Spain for a couple of years really enjoyed it I came back to Ireland for a period of time and that and said 
what I do here. And I worked in a call center um, in the Spanish team there. And ironically, I ended up speaking more Spanish living in Ireland at that stage than I did when I was in Spain, because when I was in Spain, I was teaching English, whereas here I was living with Spanish people. I was working with Spanish people, talking to Spanish people all day. Um, I really enjoyed the, the experience in terms of the friends that I made, but very clear that working in customer service was not a, a, the path for me in that. So I decided to go back to Spain again. So you can see a trend here. So basically for my 20s, I was backwards and forwards between Spain and trying to figure out what to do in my life. I came back to Ireland just at the start, I suppose, of the Celtic Tiger. And prior to 27, 28 at that stage, and didn't really know what to do in my life. I was very clear I didn't want to be a teacher. I didn't want, and there's no offense to teachers, I didn't, I'm not cut out for it in any shape or form. I didn't want to go down the sales route. So I ended up going back to a careers guidance and teacher, the counselor we would have had in second level. And by all the tests, she said, look, you know, HR might be a good fit for you. And I said, oh, okay, well, let's see. So I did, I was unemployed at the time, so I couldn't afford to go back to full-time study. I went back and I did a certificate in personnel management in uh, what was then CIT, which is now uh, Monster Technological University. And through that, I actually met a contact who said, look, really, you need to get some admin experience to get into HR. So they offered me a two-month contract working in a reception desk, which ends up being four years in HR at the end of it. So I suppose what I learned from that is take the opportunities as they arise and you never know how you can get into those kind of things. I suppose really for me, when I look at those early years, there was a lot of trying to discover who I was and even more so that kind of continued on into my 30s. So I kind of started in the HR route. I've done different aspects of it. I've done the recruitment. I've done the training side of it. I've done, I've done a lot of work in terms of redundancies um, as well from that side, elements of comps and bends. And you kind of figure out what you like and what you don't like and where your strengths come to, as part of that. And um, I mentioned there I was, would have been a, a bit of a bookworm and I still am. And for me, that piece of being able to take a book and I'm a firm believer you can, you can learn anything from books if you put the time in and you put, put the put it into practice. So there would have been a lot of time, I suppose, you could look at it self-improvement in some ways. But there's many years where I probably wasn't making the improvements. I was just reading about them. But then it would, the few gems that I did take away from it, I suppose, is putting those into practice and saying, okay, what can I do differently to be able to achieve what I want? And yeah, that's kind of brought me to more or less where I am today with that approach. And it's, it's shaped, it's changed over time. But I suppose really the key things that have driven me is just, firstly, I suppose, from early days, my family having the belief in terms of, look, if you want to go for it, what's going to stop you? And probably what's held me back more in the past has been my own belief in terms of I could do it rather than others' confidence in me. And it was just the mindset look that I, if, if I really want it, I can learn it and to go for it. Brilliant. And some great variety there. And in the area that you're working in today as early careers manager in Musgrave, uh, you must meet lots of students, I'm sure, who have come through various journeys as well. And they're still trying to find out what is it they want in life. So just in the role that you do today as Early Careers Manager, paint a picture for me around how that fits into the, the Musgrave overall people agenda and why is that important and the role that you play? Yeah, I suppose when you look at Musgrave, as you mentioned, we're Ireland's large private employer. We've been around for 145 years now at this stage. You can't have that type of longevity and that legacy if you don't have the right people in the business. And to be able to do that, you need to bring them in at various stages of their careers. So you're going to need talent at different levels. So you're going to have people coming in with fresh sites, fresh insights, and be able to bring those in. You're going to need more experienced people at different points in time as well. So when we look at the early career space within Musgrave, it's been, we've had a graduate program in some shape or form here since the mid nineties. And so very early on, it would have adopted an approach in terms of bringing that graduate talent in. 
Now, the program itself has taken different formats over the years, but certainly over the last number of years, we've seen a significant focus in terms of both the graduate program, but also in terms of our internships and bringing the right people into our business. We're exploring the areas of apprenticeships as well in some areas uh, to understand what talent we can bring in and look at a different way, because again, it's appreciating that people will have different learning styles and different educational journeys as they go through life as well. And it's making sure that that talent has an opportunity to be able to come in to be developed and to get that opportunity within Musgrave. So if I take the graduates in particular, I suppose what we, the focus we have on them would be very much in terms of developing talent in key areas for our business. So if you take the likes of buying, for example, buying, trying to get experienced buyers on, on the market is quite challenging. So we found that having that buying program within our Musgrave attorney has provided a really significant pipeline for us in terms of getting developing our own talent from that side of things. But also we've got a really strong history of our graduates progressing through in terms of leadership roles. So two of our directors, both female, I'm delighted to say, have come through our have come through our graduate program as well. And we have many other former graduates at senior levels within the business. And it's about them coming in and being able to develop that personal and professional leadership as they go through their, their careers with us. So how do you source them and position yourself for the war for talent now and for these graduates? What is it that you're doing a little bit different to anybody else? It's ever evolving is what I would say in that. <laughs> it's always evolving because it is a challenge to be to meet the different needs that people and expectations that graduates have in the workplace nowadays. I suppose a, a number of years ago, we really made a significant focus on the personal development side of our graduate program. So people can learn the skills, but as you very well know, and when you work with leaders, there's those skills and that and the mindset that they need to develop. And if you can help people early on to be able to recognize what those development opportunities are for themselves or where their blind spots may be or how to pick themselves up when things go wrong. If you have put those kind of tools available to them very early on in their career, there's a huge benefit from that. So a number of years ago, we put a significant emphasis on that in terms of the and the advertising of that through our, through our graduates, but also, I suppose, the recognition of how those graduates progress through the business. And I suppose when you look at the website, it's former graduates telling their stories of how they progressed as well as part of that. I think the other piece that a lot of work that we've had to do over the years, and it's, again, still ongoing, is, I suppose, brand recognition of Musgrave. People are very familiar with our brands. So Super Value, Centra, Frank and Honest, Donnybrook Fair, so when you go out to career fairs and you talk to the students, they're like, Musgrave, who are you? And not sure. And then it's like, oh, right. Well, super value. Yeah, I recognize that. Oh, Frank and Honest Coffee. Yeah, definitely. Donnybrook Fair is a big one in, in the Leinster area. So when you can position Musgrave then to be able to say, actually, you know what? You have the opportunity to work across multiple brands here in different stages of your career. I think people can really see that's an exciting opportunity. I think the other opportunity we've been working on, but there's definitely more to exploit here is looking at the area of retail as a career. I think sometimes people may not think of how the potential to have re within retail to have a really um, progressive career as part of that. Sometimes we think retail, oh, it's working in the store and there's amazing careers working in the store, going up to management level, to people owning their own stores, marketing managers in those stores as well. So there's the store element, but there's also all the areas that work within retail. So we need to have data scientists, we need to have marketeers, we need to have the IT infrastructure, we need to have the accountants in the background, we need financial analysts, we need the buyers, all of those to be able to support the retail world. So it's for us, what we look to do uh, via our advertising and talking to, to students is to really let them know the, the potential to have careers that are really satisfying. And that has really tangible impact on the consumers every day. 
And our buying grads in particular would talk to this and our marketing grads to be able to have that satisfaction of going into a store and picking up a product and knowing that you had an impact on that product being there, be it through sourcing it or getting the new packaging or whatever that may be. And it's that satisfaction to know that you are having those kind of impacts on what, on what consumers are doing. Really important. And I know retail as a, as a career foundation was, I started my career in road to stores and retail and my daughter started in super value. And I know that, uh, you know, she's only 19, but the skills that she developed as a 16, 17 year old there have stood her for life. That diversity of who you meet in a shop is just fantastic. And I see it with her friends that they evolve and change so fast when they get into retail. And it's a great foundation for life because you get to meet everyone and anyone in someplace like a super value store. And just talk to us about the career journey of a graduate then, about coming in to Mosgrave and what you put in place for them over that journey of being a graduate. Yeah, so when you have the graduates coming to the business, I suppose they're coming in on a high because they've graduated from their, their college. Of course, they've got the job that they wanted and they come in they're all excited. And I suppose the, the key thing for them is obviously to welcome them, to make sure that they're okay and in the right place. But it was to be able to set expectations with them early on, to be able to say, look, things are going to go wrong. <laughs> so how are you going to, how we, can we help you and how can you help yourself when things do go wrong? So we have a very structured program over the course of the two years. It's more, and it's, it's structure eases off within the second year to an extent as they gain more and more responsibility. But the purpose of that structure is that as they come in, that's part of the initial two-week induction, for example, they get a lot of time, team building within amongst themselves, but also very much a, reflect, a place of reflection for them to understand what are your goals, what you want to get out of this, what is your learning style, how do you like to learn? If there are questions for them in terms of, okay, when have things gone wrong in the past, how have you been able to deal with those? When the things go wrong in the future, how will you deal with that? And that might sound quite negative, but there's actually a lot of positives to that because we've discovered time and time again that you will have graduates, they're high achievers. They've done very well academically and very rarely failed at something. So for them to come in and they will fail because they don't know our business. They have to learn it. You will make mistakes and that's absolutely fine. And it's where it does set that expectation. Yes, you can fail, but it's how you pick yourself up and move on from that and not to try and make the same mistake over and over again as part of it. So if you look at the first kind of three months, it's very much of them working within their teams in a real job with real responsibility. So they're not there just to pad out the numbers. They're significant responsibility within their roles. Their manager is very much their mentor. We have a module with them in with them for the IMI in December, their first year, just again to be able to check in at that point, say, look, from a personal efficacy perspective, how are you doing? And we go through things like prioritization, time management stress management, resilience, all of those different things. And we know from experience that that's the right time for them to be coming across that because they're just getting a bit of confidence in the role, but there's probably a bit of element of frustration there of, I think I'm just a bit overwhelmed by everything, or it's a case of maybe I'm not getting enough responsibility. So it's having those conversations at that point to be able to say, okay, well, what, what do you need this for? And what you find is after Christmas, they come back and it's like something's clicked. And it's like, yeah, definitely, this is where I want to be. And you see them really progressing again. And we have a number of other modules then in February and in May of that year, very much focused on the personal side of things and presentation, communication skills, all of that. So that first year of the formal development is very much focused around the personal and intrapersonal skills for them to be able to understand what's going on. And that's not to sound condescending or anything, but... As we all know, self-growth and self-awareness, a lot of times we may be looking externally to understand what's happening and blaming external things, but it may be something that we're reacting to. And if we, if we know how to deal with those things, then 
it can help us in terms of how we progress from that side. So that's really the focus on the development side. We do one-to-one check-ins as well with the grads and with their managers two times during the year so as to be able to sit down, have that conversation. How are things going? Is it meeting your expectations? What are your concerns? Where do you see yourself in three or four months' time? And similarly, the same with the manager in terms of checking in and how is the manager feeling supported when working with the graduate? Because there's a lot to ask for a manager to bring in on a new graduate, especially if they're doing year after year, because you're bringing a person who's really enthusiastic and full of energy, which is brilliant, but they don't know the job. But similarly, maybe the first time working in a corporate culture. And it's all those different things that you can take for granted when you've got a more experienced hire and you have to, to go through that. Now they learn so quickly, but it's still a piece that you have to go through that with them. So it's making sure that you have the right managers in place to be able to say, okay, yeah, they've done really well academically or they've done fantastic in the internship, but this is new to Musgrave. How are you going to support them? How what support do you need as part of that? Is there anything that we need to go through to be able to, to help them from that? So that's really the first year of the program from that side. You can definitely get a sense there listening to you, the heavy focus of personal development being so important. And it's almost that you have almost anticipated now to experience what should be coming at different times on that journey through the first year when, as you say, people can be hit with overwhelm and say, oh, my God, I'm not good enough for this or whatever. Then you had the challenge of COVID and over the last two years, how has that changed the game for you? And when they weren't getting the opportunity to be on site and people were remote and isolated, etc. I want to ask you a quick question. Is your organization going through unprecedented growth, restructuring or change? At Harmonix, through our consultancy and coaching work with business and HR leaders, we face one common challenge, the overwhelming pace of change and not enough time or resources to properly reset to become future fit. If you would like to register for a free diagnostic session with one of our team of experts, go to harmonics.ie to get in touch today. Now, back to the podcast. Yeah, it's been hugely challenging and I have nothing but admiration and respect for our graduates in terms of how they adapted to that. So we've had two cohorts of graduates who started fully remotely and many of them would have graduated from their bedrooms and started work in their bedrooms. And that is just such a challenging thing to overcome. And they've been amazing in terms of how they've taken that on. Now, it's been difficult and it's not the full experience that they would have expected when you would have joined the company because we've actually just recently gone back to the office in the last couple of weeks. We will be working on a hybrid working basis, but as a graduate, you have all these expectations of coming in and being with other people and sitting by Nelly, as we know, those kind of informal learning pieces that you have around you and trying to do that in a remote fashion has been very challenging. Now, they have been amazing in the sense that they have really taken on board the personal development piece, uh, even though we had to do it all remotely, they've really taken it on board and you can see personal growth has still taken place. The challenge for them, I suppose, has really been that virtual networking piece and having that virtual networking outside of their primary team. Because again, if you're in the office, you can go in and you might be sitting in the canteen beside somebody from another team or involved in other projects and things like that. So you have a lot more opportunities to be able to do that networking. So really it was trying to support them to be able to say, okay, well, these are different things that you can do to be able to connect with other people or to be able to have those conversations and getting to schedule in informal coffees with people as well, just to say, look, it's okay to do this. 100%. You need to have those breaks, which you'd have in a natural way within the office anyway. So it was just trying to find that balance. And in terms of a work performance piece, 
I don't see any difference in terms of skills and ability of the graduates who've come through from COVID and those before that. What they have missed out on for themselves and for that personal side of it is that office environment. And now that we're going back, hopefully that will come with them as well and just give them that other opportunity to really experience what that work life can be like for them, just to, to give them that extra nuance. And how are you managing the hybrid then? And what do you think is the best experience for a graduate? Do you think it's going to always be hybrid now in the future? Free or where do you see that going? I think it's not just graduates. I think we're all going to struggle with this one for a while. There's no one perfect answer for this for anyone. And I suppose the approach that we're taking for hybrid is, I suppose it will vary by team, but it is very much of a focus on when you're in the office, you're there to collaborate, you're there to be part of a team and you're there to really get that full experience of being as part of a team and engaging and creativity and be able to get those kind of experiences from that. Whereas if it's kind of more day-to-day work than things that you could easily do by yourself, then do that from a remote location from that side of it. I do think for graduates that it's important to have a degree of structure around that. So it's saying, okay, look, if it is within your team, that is going to be two days every week that you need to go in. So just make sure that you know who's going to be in those two days. Be very intentional about when you go in, about who you want to connect with or what you want to achieve as part of that. And even if that's just scheduling time to for more social engagements over those two days, then I think that's what the focus should be on because those personal bonds are critical as well within the workplace. And it is more challenging to build those over virtual. It's not impossible. It is more challenging from that side. Uh, yeah, I've definitely seen that whole gap between intentional and before it kind of happened. And there is that sense of overwhelm as well, that people are really stretched in relation to meeting lots of meetings. And, you know, while you advise people to be intentional, whether they're taking up the opportunity to be intentional or not is something that, that maybe they're not doing as much as they should. I don't know what your experience is of that. Certainly, I can speak even to my own experience of that. At different points, I've said to myself, I need to actually just sit down and just connect with people without any business motivation, just for the purpose of saying, look, how are you? How are you getting on as part of that? Because every time I do so, people are just delighted to have that conversation. I do think it's something that we all need to get better with. I think it's going to take time. We've gone, come out of two years of working, having to transition to remote working, which took several months, I suppose, for people to get accustomed to that, obviously in the height of the pandemic, and it wasn't remote work in a proper sense, but still there was a significant period of adjustment that we all had to make to working from home. We've all got used to it now at this stage, and we've been, as you mentioned, super productive. We have all these meetings scheduled in our diaries and everything's wonderful, fantastic, and through it all. But now as we go back in, you've got to factor in your commute, you've got to factor in the time to change meeting rooms, you've got to factor in the chat beside the coffee machine, all these different things. So I do think it's very important for us and as for leaders to be able to say, okay, give your people permission to have that time to reconnect, have that expectation of that they may not necessarily be as productive as they have been in the months just leading up to coming back in from a hybrid perspective. Ultimately, it will find the balance. And that balance is really important because Yes, people may have been really productive during the remote working piece, but there were still those external factors of pandemic in the background and things like that. Whereas I think people now are much more conscious of their work-life balance. They enjoy that time of being at home with their families and not having to do that long commute. So it's okay, how can I manage this in the right way for myself to be able to do that and still give the outcomes that you want? And expectations, you know, something that I come across a lot when I speak to maybe people my age in organizations and saying, look, I just don't understand this younger generation and the expectations they have for a career. 
What's your view on that and how have you been addressing that generation gap? And especially, obviously, with the remote as well, where some managers wanted people sitting in the office and having that command and control structure from the past. So have you experienced any challenges around that expectation gap? Yeah, I don't know, is it skepticism or what? But the whole piece around generational stereotypes. So we've got our Gen X, we have our baby boomers, our Gen Z and millennials and all these different ones. And when I started my early career journey around eight years ago, I very much would have been, okay, well, what's the difference? What are they looking for? And all and that side of things. Ultimately, when it comes down to it, people just want to be listened. They want to be heard. So it's having the conversations with people and it's as straightforward as having conversation. Okay, what do you want to get out of this program? What are your expectations? Where do you see yourself? What do you think could get in your way? How can I help you? And every single one of us wants that. So I'm proud Gen Xer, one of those lost middle neglected generations, if you go by the stereotypes. And I want that. I want to be able to go in and I have it, thankfully, but it's to be able to have that conversation to say, okay, this is where I see myself in terms of my career. How is that aligned with your vision of where you see me? What I need to do to get there? So I do think a lot of these things about generational gaps, yes, it's important to be aware that people will have different needs, but I mean, it's simple, but not easy. It's about having those right appropriate conversations with people when they join and as they progress through their careers. It's about having the meaningful time to be able to sit down and say, look, how are things going for you? What's happening? What motivates you? What's your purpose? And to be able to connect with those things. And I'd say one of the things that we would do with our graduates as well very early on is helping them to understand their values and their purpose. And it's really important when we recruit graduates, we also recruit on the basis of are they aligned with most great values insofar as we can see. Because if you have that alignment between the company values and your own, then it's going to be a much better fit for you in the context of, okay, I can see myself growing here because we're, we're in alignment in, in this area. You may not necessarily agree with everything, but you're in alignment and that can help you in terms of that progression. And, and, you know, it always comes back to that simple stuff about being listened to wherever you are in life or whatever stage you're at. It's so important, but quite often undervalued. I'm just thinking about the amount of focus that you're putting on personal development and then looking at the college years before that. What could colleges do better, do you think, to prepare these grads for the future of work? I mean, to be fair, through the work that I do with third level institutes, they have been doing some amazing work over the last number of years. Um, career services in particular, and I know certain courses as well and degrees have certainly looked in terms of transforming their curriculum and how students can learn and how things are taught through that, through the likes of reflective learning and things like that. So I do think there's a significant change, certainly since I was in college, in terms of how students are supported on a personal level through different structures and supports that they have in the colleges and also from an academic level and career services do amazing uh, jobs in this area. If there was one thing I think that could support graduates more, it's probably the opportunity to fail. And it's creating more opportunities to fail. I don't know what the answer is, the right way to do this. There's this one in one Star Trek films, I'm not a Trekkie, but there's this one scenario where it's designed to fail and he cheats it somehow, but he's defeating the whole purpose, which is to learn from failure. I just think there's something here for people going um, through college or at any early stage of your career to understand it's okay that these things will happen. The important thing is, okay, well, what are you learning from that? What can you take? What was in your control? What was outside of your control? And really, how can you pick yourself up and move on from it? Because I suppose over the years, again, we would have seen highly intelligent and very smart people. And you just see them caught for a period of time because they haven't had that failure before and trying to move past it. And it's this level of perfectionism 
that drives so many people. You could say, yeah, social media and all these different things drive it. I don't know what's driving it, but there is certainly a real tendency towards perfectionism and people are expect to be able to do things right straight off. And we all know that's not the truth. It's something from a college perspective is, I think, is just creating those opportunities for people to get in, to fail in something, but to give them meaningful feedback or to be able to support them finding the answers for themselves as they go through that. And probably more the latter in terms of helping them to be able to find out, okay, well, what can you do differently as part of that? I think that would be invaluable. And I know that they're looking at this through like some entrepreneurial courses and innovation and all those. And I think that's a great mindset to have. And like the design thinking, all of those would have that. You design, you test, you learn from failures, you move on. I think in a broader sense, I think that would be fantastic to, to see these students having that. You mentioned design thinking there, and it's something that you brought into Mosgrave and also initiatives like a youth board. Just talk to us about those type of initiatives and that are a little bit different to what I might have seen in different organizations. Yeah, so we have, as you mentioned there, a youth board. So this was established last year and it was actually Del Russell, our um, director of Insight Innovation, who was our very first grad in the business. And she would have uh, come up with the idea of creating this youth board. And really it shadows our executive team and the board and that they have this opportunity to work on a topic that the executive may be looking at. So a strategic question or a topic, the youth board takes it away, they research it, they come up with their own ideas. They then present their findings back to the main board as well as part of that and they have the discussion and really it was a way to generate insights from this cohort within the business and to be able to understand from their views as colleagues but also as future consumers because again these are our customers and so it's, it's important to understand what they're looking for and, and how we can address those needs it was hugely successful in its first year and each of the members of the youth board are also partnered with a member of our executive team for mentoring so it's formal, it's the, I suppose, traditional mentoring, but there's also a degree of reverse mentoring as well, where our, certainly our executive team would say that they have learned from our younger colleagues as well from that side of it. And we're now going to our second iteration of that youth board and really exciting process just in terms of the nominations that we've received from colleagues going for this and the ideas and the insights that they're bringing forward as part of that. Design thinking, you also referenced there. So design thinking, we have an amazing team within, within our insights and innovation team and um, led by Siobhan Hennessy in, from a design thinking perspective. Over the last number of years, we've introduced design thinking a training course for colleagues within Musgrave. And I suppose traditionally you think about design thinking in terms of products, we're using a much broader sense in that everybody is very much focused on customer centricity and it's understanding that perspective and how can we think like the consumer as part of that journey in every aspect that you do. And it's, it's a training on how to use the methodology, but we also work on projects as well as part of that. And I've just recently finished the training on that myself. It was intense, but I have to say it certainly broadened my own thinking and we are now actually taking a design thinking approach to some of our redevelopment of our training courses. So I think it'll be, watch the space, should be very exciting to see what we're coming down the future. But some of our grads would have also have access to those training courses, but similarly, they'd work on projects where design thinking methodology is applied. So they get exposure to that. And similarly, they work on a business project in second year, which would also um, have started getting to incorporate design thinking approaches as part of that. I think in a world where there's just so much uncertainty and change, design thinking is definitely coming up its time and it's a brilliant methodology to approach different situations. Just to wrap up, Siobhan, that's been so interesting to hear the journey that you've been on with your graduates and what you're doing in Musgrave, which is so innovative. A couple of quick fire questions for you. A book that you'd most recommend? You said you were a book nerd, so this, this should be an easy question for you. Yeah, I was thinking about that and there's a couple, I'll be quick with them. So the first one is How Women Rise. 
by um, Sally Helgeson and Malcolm Ga and Marshall Goldsmith. Brilliant book. Playing Big by Tara Moore and Atomic Habits by James Clear. Those three books have had a massive impact on me over the last three years. So they're three books I've read and actually taken action from, as opposed to reading them and putting back up the shelf. Atomic Habits, I love that book. Do you listen to podcasts? And if you'd recommend any that you listen to? I'm um, uh, new enough to the world of podcasts, but there are a couple that I would certainly enjoy and recommend. So the first is actually from a collaborator of the Musgrave Graduate Program, William Corliss. It's called the Workplace Podcast. And he actually got to interview Sally Helgeson. So I was uh, delighted for that. So definitely would recommend that. And some great topics, very similar vein to yourself. And the other one, which I really enjoy is Revisionist History uh, by Malcolm Gladwell. Really fascinating podcast for anyone who's listened to them. Or if you haven't, is just taking this one event in time, be major or, or just minor, and then just unraveling everything around it and the impact that, that has had in it. And it's just fascinating to listen to. And lastly, then one person that uh, motivates and inspires you, who would that be? Yeah, that's a, more of a tough one now, I would say. Um, I'm going to have to say my parents. And I just say from the perspective of, I said, from where their life started. I mean, they were my, both of them had to immigrate. They immigrated separately. They immigrated to the UK back in the late 50s, early 60s, and they, they met over there. And so they had to leave their country. Now of them had finished second level education. They've been through a lot of challenging times in their life. But through it all, I suppose, as I said, there was never this limiting belief put it on us in terms of what we could or couldn't do, where it would be very easy to say, oh, look, who do you, who do you think you are for the likes of going to, to college and things like that? And yeah, and I think it's just when you look to that and say, look, I've been able to do that because of the support that I've received from that, I think it's been, I'm very grateful for that. Yeah, thanks, Siobhan. And isn't it, just when you speak about that, isn't it amazing the journey that, you know, Ireland has travelled in the space of one generation when you think about people having to go away and earn a living in the UK and come back and not have the college education that so many have been afforded. So fantastic reflections there, Siobhan. You know, a couple of things that I took from the, the interview, people want to be listened to and the opportunity to fail, we need to take that. And uh, definitely I'm taking that away from the podcast and really appreciate the time, Siobhan, and uh, sharing. And hopefully, I suppose, you know, educating our listeners on the journey of a graduate and how important it is to be listened to in the world of work today. Thank you, Siobhan. Thank you for the opportunity. Thanks for listening to The Core today. We would really appreciate if you could follow, subscribe and share as we seek to grow our community of listeners. Speak again soon.